Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by And Soda, a brand new, refreshing, sugar-free, sweetener-free and gluten-free vodka-based alcoholic beverage. And God, do I love that vodka. And with only 99 cans per calorie, you can drink tons of them. Please drink responsibly. When the fun stops, stop. Flavours include Florida Orange, British Raspberry and my personal favourite, Mexican Lime. Serve chilled and enjoy. Check them out on And Soda across all socials. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Lefty, Vanilla Ace, Tim from the Utah Saints, and so many more. You can check those out on iTunes and Spotify and now, including this episode on YouTube for that full video experience. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house or visit youtube.com forward slash DJ Felix Leiter. And don't forget to subscribe. In this episode, I talk to the Australian legend Alex Preston about his life in music, how he transitioned from instruments to decks and then combined the two to create his incredible music and live shows. His story may be a little different from others heard previously on this podcast, but that's what makes it so interesting. Alex is a lovely guy, really funny and has an incredible story to tell. So let's get into it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Alex Preston, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. From Surrey to Sydney, this time yesterday I was talking to Nathan C from his uh, studio in Surrey and now we flip by the the magic of Skype and the internet to to, uh, Sydney. How is it in Australia um, at the moment? Because I know that it's such a vast country and I know that it's split up into different areas and some areas have got like what stadiums full of people watching sport and some areas are on mega lockdown. Yeah. Um, Australia's had an interesting time with um, COVID. Some states have, Australia's broken down into, um, into seven states. Um, I live, Sydney's part of New South Wales, which is kind of halfway up uh, the East Coast. And then Queensland's like the top half. And then Victoria's like the bottom. And um, when COVID hit, um, uh all the, basically, the government closed our borders, which was really good. Um, and then it, it, the government made all travellers kind of quarantine for 14 days who were coming back from overseas um, countries, so Australians returning home. And um, in Melbourne, in Victoria, some of the, um, the, the, the people quarantining in the hotels um, gave COVID to, you know, security guards and stuff like that. And essentially Melbourne got out of control and um, it was really bad. So they're in full lockdown, but um, the rest of the country um, is is pretty much sort of semi-normal again, which it's really weird, but it's kind of because Australia is so big, it's really easy for the states to close the borders off because the distance, like it takes a day to drive from Sydney to Melbourne. So it's like such a great distance that it um, it sort of works in our favour up here. But um, yeah, it's um, it's definitely getting better. But um, you know we're you know we're one um, you know one outbreak away from going back into lockdown ourselves. So it's like living on a knife edge, I think. So yeah. So you are you doing 
gigs in Sydney? Are, are DJs out playing? Is is you know when you say it's like back to normal? Are nightclubs open? Are people dancing in bars? Or is it still a sitting down kind of thing? It's it's a sitting da- a sitting down vibe. I've okay. just been um, um, just about to announce a run of shows um, pretty much from Saturday week through to the end of November for a whole lot. The government's injected a whole lot of money into nightclubs and bars, and so wow. they're able to book. Um, you know the touring acts um, and uh, and get them back playing so I'm basically doing a whole lot of gigs around Sydney for people who are sitting down and like limited numbers and stuff like that but I'm actually really looking forward to it you know because it's sort of an uh, you know it's going to be great to be able to perform for people again and you know uh, it's people are sitting but you know it's better than you know not being able to play so yeah Yeah, i've done i've done a couple of those gigs in in the uk um and it's a very different it's a very different skill set in a way i mean you know i'm nice to play a lot of bars then i hadn't hadn't played bars for a very long time we've been a you know a club a club dj and things but when you haven't played for so long oh i'm talking in my case here anyway when i hadn't played out at all for so long just a very the very thing of packing my DJ bag and leaving the house and kind of going to work just felt so amazing. And, 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 and in a way it gave me personally, who spent the last 10, 15 years playing, you know, in dark clubs late at night, the, the chance to play all these records that I love that are kind of a bit funkier, a bit jazzier, like, you know, you don't feel that same dance floor pressure that like you, you might do in a nightclub it just was kind of a really nice opportunity to play some some different music actually yeah yeah it's pretty um it's quite an unusual thing like i actually went out with um with my sister on uh, saturday night who actually helps run my label for me and we thought we'd go and check out one of these bars that's um well it's actually a club that you go and sit down and they've put all tables in and that and like um yeah, it was pretty. Uh, it was it was an interesting experience. Just sitting down, like drinking in a club, and like I'm like actually, I'm, I'd probably be sitting down most of the time anyway. I'm pretty old these days, so like you know, like <laughs> I was just like actually, it's not that bad, you know. So I was sitting on a couch, having a chat, having a few drinks, you know. So it's uh, it's not that bad. So yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you've got some. Uh, I'm glad that you've got some shows to announce, Alex. Uh, right, I'm going to take yep. you back to where we start this podcast. I want to take you right back before DJing, before sitting down yep. in clubs, um, way before um, you know all that kind of stuff. I want to take you right back to childhood and just get an, an, an idea of, especially for I guess a lot of guests that have been on this podcast have been probably UK based. You know, even if they were, might have been in Ibiza when I spoke to them. So, yep. from an Australian point of view, it'd be interesting to know where. Where was the first places that you were hearing music? You know, like what were the sort of first types of music that you were hearing? Was it getting played to you by parents? Was it on the radio? So we're talking quite as a young child. Where were those first influences? Um, definitely listening uh, probably for my parents. Um, uh, you know, like dad would put loud music on on the weekends when he was home from work and that would be um, a lot of where... Um, like my early influences on music, like listening to a lot of like sort of 70s and 60s blues and rock and like old sort of like Zeppelin records and and just, you know, stuff that your dad listens to and and getting that kind of introduction into music that way. And then my mum like – 
used to play stuff too, like Steely Dan and, um, you know, things like that. So I've kind of had um, influences like that in, uh, you know, um, from a, from an early age. And my mum was, um, was always, like, was musical. So when it came time to, um, to join the school band when I was – Eight, my mum played the clarinet so I thought mum was like you can play the clarinet and I'll teach you so I had that kind of um, that connection from music with my parents from an early age you know so um, yeah I mean that that would be kind of my earliest my earliest memories of, of music and how I kind of got into it you know from how did the clarinet go because is the clarinet a reed um, instrument is that it's got because yeah, yeah. I, I used to play the saxophone and um well, I, similar sort of time, so probably a little bit older, but secondary school, um, I took yeah. up playing the saxophone and I just couldn't cope with the taste of that wood and the kind of like, you were trying to get the reed to vibrate, right? And then like, yeah. uh, oh, I really struggled with it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know, like I, um, it was weird, the music, um, uh, like kind of playing instruments comes quite naturally to me. Okay. Um and um, so when I was eight, I was played the clarinet, and within six weeks of starting, I was gone from being in the junior band with you know my friends who were seven and eight and stuff like that to being put in the um, senior band with all the twelve and thirteen year olds, and I was wow. like, "Wow, this is pretty scary." This is for for an eight year old kid to be put in a group of kids that's all twelve and thirteen. I was pretty pretty sort of scared, but. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how, and I kind of picked a guitar up when I was about eleven or twelve, I think, and then um, yeah, I sort of um, my dad showed me this um, documentary on Hendrix. I'll never forget it when I was twelve, and I just like because I'm left-handed and he's left-handed, and I was just like, whoa, that was a light bulb moment. I was just like, that this guy's like me, like I get it, you know. So I was that was yeah, that's kind of my earliest memories of of music and how i kind of got into it so can you remember what that documentary was like have you ever watched it again sort of as an adult or anything have you tracked it down yeah it's um it was one of those um uh classic albums documentary and i think it was on his um on his electric ladyland album and um it was uh yeah it was pretty uh it was just kind of talking to eddie kramer and um talking to um it was when Mitch Mitchell and um, and what's the bass player's name? I can't remember his name. Um, from the, the original Hendrix um, bass uh, experience bass player and Carl Cox was on there and uh, oh, not Carl Cox. Um, what's his Billy Cox um, was the the bass player in the Hendrix. And, um, I was going to say Cox and, gets everywhere. <laughs> come on, come on, Carl. Give it. Give someone else a chance. <laughs> and um and then buddy miles as well so yeah it was really uh influential um you know documentary on and i've yeah i've watched it since and bit of a bit of a hendrix fan as you probably know playing upside down strats still so <laughs> yeah i might yeah, i might go and so. check i might go and try and check that out so if i take you and we're going to come back to the instruments but if i take you away from the instruments for a second and just ask you because it's just personally one of the questions i love asking people is like can you remember the first piece of music that was you felt like was yours to hold like you had it either it was bought for you or you bought it with your own money like can you remember the first just item of music that you kept in your room and it was yours yeah, absolutely. Um, I bought my first ever 
um, I was born in 1985, and so it was just when I was about three to probably four or five was when CDs were really um, uh, just starting to be a thing. And I bought my first CD was Michael Jackson's. Um, oh, what was the album called? Um, can't remember it off the top of my. Remember the album cover? It's the one where it's his eyes and um, and uh, yeah, but it, I. It, it had, um, yeah, black and white on it, I think. I think the album was called Black and White, but Black and White was the main track off the um, off the album. And, I, yeah, I saved up my, my birthday money. And, oh, do you mean and, Dangerous? Uh, do you mean Dangerous? Dangerous, that's, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, yeah. 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 even as you uh, even as you've said it, that was the first one that came to mind. Like, um, yeah, yeah that, that, was the first, that was the first one that came to mind. Yeah, I think I, I watched – I saw an ad for it on um, – on uh, on tv and i was like i'm gonna mum i want to buy that and so yeah I, I, I bought that was the first ever album that i owned and put it on mum and dad's new cd player and stuff like that so it was um it was pretty pretty cool i can I remember love black and white we, i love black and white yeah. so it's that the start to it with the knocking and the doosh, 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 and then it's like, well, like oh, yeah. <laughs> i can remember the video i'm pretty sure that was the one with macaulay culkin in it the was video, yeah and it, it was like one of the most and, expensive um, videos yeah um but uh yeah so that was that was my first cd that i bought you know so and did you go so then obviously you you said that sort of the instruments came came naturally to you did you then did you then pursue more of a band route and a a musical route before you then kind of came back to find the dj and 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 you know the house music stuff were you were you in bands were you playing guitars in bands were you trying to be like a, a, a rock star first Pretty much, yeah. So when I was um, in high school, which would probably be like 97, 98, in in Australia, that was really like, you know, everyone was like at skate when you're like a teenager. Like dance music wasn't sort of here, I guess. It was here, but it was for an older crowd. For like teenagers and stuff, it was very much, you know, like – punk bands and like you know blink 182 red hot chili peppers no effects and stuff so i was like in in my teenage years i was playing guitar and punk bands and stuff like that and i was in a little child prodigy punk band and we supported um i think we supported good charlotte when they came out here when i was about 14 and stuff wow. like that it was before they were big like when they were just playing little youth centers and stuff like that but uh yeah we, we played some pretty uh some pretty cool little gigs and then i kind of got into the djing thing when i just sort of like left high school one of the guys i'd sat through school um in mass class sat next to him literally every mass class from like seven till year 12 or something um and uh he was a dj and he was forever like we were for i was always like oh you know dj suck and he was like band suck <laughs> like this and i was like knowing nothing about the music and then and then because I could, I could drum, like I can play drums and percussion and stuff like that. He, when we were just left school, he, there was this nightclub in Manly where I lived and um, he rang me and he goes, oh, I need a percussion player. Do you want to come and play percussion with me while I DJ tonight? And I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, it's free beers. I'll give you a hundred bucks and whatever. And I was like, sweet. All right, cool. I'll come. So I came down, brought my percussion, set up played with him and like i'd gone from playing in bands in like shitty pubs 
you know, I was even doing like solo acoustic sets, singing, playing like Oasis songs and stuff in like pubs to drunks to like playing to a full nightclub full of hot girls. And I was like 18 years old. I love the music. And I was just like, I am hooked. And then Tommy Trash actually played after um after us and he was like dude can you play with me and i was like sweet yeah sure so i played with tommy then he's like i'm gonna go to another gig now come with me and i was like okay sweet so i did this like crash course in in like house music back in this would have been probably like 2004 okay so um yeah it was really uh it was really amazing and then i was playing every weekend after that like every venue was like can we can you play here next weekend and it was really this sort of amazing way to kind of come into into house music so yeah i've done a, I've done a couple of gigs with um with tommy trash like we um we ran a big uh like we had a big night called electrica in newcastle and he played there and then i also got booked um to play in Belfast with Tommy and um, this was a cock of five yeah. six years ago or something and we did the show together and then we ended up like drinking red wine into the uh, late night early morning and uh and I and I woke up at about to know 11 o'clock in my hotel room with a guy knocking on the door telling me I had to get out and uh, I'd totally missed my flight home and <laughs> had to go and arrange separate uh separate travel to get home so forever i will blame tommy trash for that uh that that, that going home via scotland but so what was you know that first gig when um when you were playing percussion what was the guy playing was he playing sort of like the tommy trash like electro-y type sound at the time was he playing house that we would talk about like vocal house was he playing yeah can you remember what that you know that first gig that you were playing percussion over what was your friend what was he sort of playing like funky house like the stuff that we are like like reverting back to now in house music was like yeah what I kind of grew up on, like, um, you know, Funky House and, um, you know, like every gig there would either be me playing percussion and a sax player, like jamming on stuff, you know, playing over these house tunes. And so I think it's like, um, yeah, so now with, you know, music kind of reverting back to a lot of those sounds and stuff, I think it's really, it's, it's come like it's it's a natural thing for me to to sort of enjoy it because it's what kind of got me into that into the and it makes and it makes sense for you you know even though we've only talked and talked a little bit now it makes sense for you because there's that element of live instruments you know and obviously that's you know with basement sound we'll come on to your label in a little bit but you know it's not like you're trying to make electronic minimal berlin techno with dots and bleeps and you know what i mean you you are making music from which you you know guitar and we'll get onto the incredible sets that you do with you know your guitar on top of the the dj and stuff but it does make sense that the music that you want to make incorporates the musicality of which you you know kind of came from um yeah which i think yeah. is interesting <laughs> go on yeah yeah so yeah that's it's very uh that that's basically it like i'm just playing stuff that i comes naturally to me and and um that i just like that sound i think it's cool um you know and if like i like i do i teach kids not kids but like people production lessons and stuff like that and i say like to a lot of people like you've got to make music that you like or that comes naturally to you because you know it's it's otherwise it's you know it it doesn't 
people, it's not genuine. It's, I think it's got to come from a genuine place, music. So, yeah. So if we take you back to, so you're doing these percussion stuff, right? You're obviously, you've seen the light standing in a, on a stage in front <laughs> of, you know, a thousand, you know, people in a nightclub, which we all love and would love to be doing again real soon. What's the, what's the transition then? Do you, how long do you do these percussion things for? When do you first start to think, when do you first start to look left or right at the DJ and start to think, mm, maybe I'd like to be DJing instead of playing percussion? And when does the production element of it when is the first time that you open up like an ableton or a logic how does that kind of progression take place from that first percussion gig that you did well um just to kind of like backtrack a little bit through playing in bands actually um i i've been producing and making records as a guitar player for like ever since i was 16 and actually i was just i literally just moved house about three weeks ago and um i found um my original fostex multi-track recorder that i bought when i was 16 which is like this little red machine that's like it had like a really old USB, like a, it's not a USB, like an old flash drive in it. Um, probably bought it in about 2002. Wow. It had um, eight channels and it was able to record, um, I think, two minutes of music at high quality. And uh, I was thinking as I looked at it the other day, because was at a time when I was playing in bands and I bought a little... Um, like a, a Zoom drum machine so that I was able to play to it and I'd record my bass. And I was just remember thinking at the time, I was like, I'm sitting in a room by myself with a drum machine making music by myself. It feels so unusual because I'm so used to playing in bands. But now that's like all I do all day anyway. <laughs> anyway you know, that's what I've ended up doing for the rest of my life. So I kind of... By the time I was playing percussion and stuff, I'd always already had this kind of background in in kind of music making and and songwriting and stuff like that from being in bands. And then... um, What was that early software uh, that you were using? So when you're using the multi-track to record bits and bobs, what was... Can you remember what that first pieces of software were that you were using to piece that together on a computer? So it wasn't actually on a computer. It was literally uh, recording files onto the Fostex. And, and that was it. And then, and then that was it. You'd spit it, spit it out onto your computer on the flash drive. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, so it was, that was like, that was it. And you could, you, could, you could stem it out and then put it into like, um, there was a Windows program that I used to, I think it was, I can't remember what it was called now, but it, it just was like a basic audio editing software. Like it was really pretty shit i think it was supposed to um (laughs) i think it was for editing like sound on movies or something like that it was like it was pretty terrible but um that was back in the day when like um pro tools had just kind of been a thing um and was starting like bands were starting to be like oh we're using pro tools and they were just starting to drummers were starting to send you know guitar players they were living in different cities but they were able to record and stuff like that was pretty pretty interesting because wasn't that um excuse me for taking us way off track here but as soon as you just said that i just for some reason thought of savage garden like didn't those guys like live on opposite sides of australia and create all their music like remotely so yeah 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 
They uh, just because yeah. you say it's just I've, that's the way my my brain works. <laughs> Talking to someone in Australia, <laughs> and you talked about making music remotely, and something in my head just went ping, Savage Garden. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny if, if I think yeah, Savage Garden. They've uh, definitely um, had some yeah, interesting it, songs, but let's, uh, just, let's <laughs> just leave let's just leave that reference there. Um, so you, what, what, what 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 you're sort of getting at is you had a head start on on other. DJs in the fact that you already were used to recording and processing and editing sounds so in a way yeah. production wise was already in your veins pre you know pre the beginning well not well not the beginning of this journey but the beginning of like the house music journey you were already au fait with recording sounds and, and being an instrumental and being an instrument player um so yeah so I'm interested then in what 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 happened Next, you know, like, did you play percussion for quite a while over DJs or did you quite quickly realize that you wanted to be the DJ? After after a few months, I pretty much realized that I, 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 as I sort of fell more in love with the, with the music, I wanted to, like, be able to play it more and, like, be able to, being, like, obviously a musician, I wanted to be able to, like, improve my um, performance and I thought... I'd be able to do it too by, um, like, um, be able to have my own music catalogue and, and stuff like that. So I really wanted to try and get into DJing. And, like, it was a, at the time a lot of people were sort of getting into um, vinyl Serato, basically, because yep. Serato, it was either CDs on CD, like having to burn heaps of CDs and stuff like that. And then um, a few mates were using um, Serato and I was like, hang on a second, this this is pretty cool because I can um, – it, it's a bit easier to kind of play, uh, perform and do that at the same time and it's easier to catalogue your music. You're not having to like sift through CD wallets and stuff like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, so that, that then I kind of got into DJing and I was doing both and then um, – a mate of mine started making music on Ableton and I was going around to his house and um, uh, we started putting some tracks together, you know, on Ableton and that's pretty much like how I, I kind of learnt watching uh, watching him um, put it together and um, and then, yeah, so that, that's kind of how I sort of travelled into into that into that world. So what were those um, first? So, so you, you were playing... On Serato DVS, so were you actually using turntables or were you using CDJs to control the, the Serato, to control the music? I was using turntables, so, yeah. So, like yeah. The, so with the DVS, wired in through like the sound box and stuff. Um, and yep. I mean, and obviously I'm probably going to really dislike you again when you say how easy you found this because you were like, oh, I'm just, you know, I can play all these instruments. How did you find the transition into, into DJ and did you just pick it up super easy and found it really, really easy to do? Um... I don't think so. I think the thing with <laughs> DJing that I like that is like the the actual mixing and the thing is it like the actual physical thing is is quite um, was was pretty easy. You're just trying to keep two things in time, but um, the thing that was really like that took I think and and takes any DJ a long time is the song selection and learning like what how far out of the boundaries of like what you're where you're playing and and what you're playing can you go and like you know like that's still the thing that excites like that I just love about DJing is like playing something for like 
a style of whatever you're playing for like an X amount of time and then just being throwing a, like a song in there that people have just had didn't expect that they wanted to hear that song. That's the best thing about DJing is, is putting that thing in that in your uh, in your set that um, people didn't know that they wanted to hear, you know, and I think that um, learning, learning that took a long time and I think takes any DJ or anybody a long time, I think, you know. Well, I've, I've completely recanted my statement, Alex. I now, I now love you for that answer because I think, I think that, to be honest, is is yeah. I mean, you, you made the sort of hair on the back of my neck stand up. That to me is what I miss. You know, I've missed for the last six months is is going out with a you know a bag full of music and 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 finding that journey. And I think as you were talking, what struck me as well was the difference between being in a band um, and doing a gig. So you're you know you're going in your band, and, and I, I'm aware that there are cover cover bands and all the rest of it. But what I mean is you're going you know to, to support Good Charlotte, for instance, just to tie a couple of things together from this conversation. And I, know I yeah. appreciate you're young, but I'm just using it as a reference. How you, as a band, you go in there and you stand there and you play your twelve songs because you're in a band and you play your twelve songs and it's written out on a piece yeah. of paper and you go through your twelve songs and you finish and then you, and you might keep your best song till last and then you finish and then yeah. you're done. Whereas a DJ, you have that ability to play any music you want or any song, you know, you know, even if we're within yeah. a genre, you have the ability to slow things down for the crowd a little bit. You have the ability to speed things up yeah. and lift things and you have the ability to take them on a bit of a journey, which I'm not sure. I'm sure people who are in bands now might be screaming at, at this, but I'm not sure it's quite the same. It's process. And, and every time that you go into a room, you all know, I mean, you just are going to announce these gigs in Sydney. Every time you yeah. go, you might have playlists, but you don't have a set list. You know what I mean? Things no. move and develop and they become fluid within the gig. So the way you talked about it then really made me remember what <laughs> I miss about DJing. <laughs> yeah. I think, look, put it this way, um, like with my live show now, um, like my manager and people are like, why don't you just do the whole thing live? You, you can play with like, you know, put your drum machine in, you can do the whole thing live, you can rehearse it and blah, blah, blah. I'm like... I actually don't want to do that. I just like winging it, <laughs> like going yeah. in there, still DJing. I'm just like jamming on my guitar and doing some loops and stuff on top of the um, on top of the DJing. But it's still got for me. I've got yeah. that ability to control that element of surprise as a DJ and to be able to play stuff that like I didn't even know that I thought I could play or you know and that's yeah. the that's the musicality in in um in being a DJ and I think that um that's what the the best DJs um DJs are you know they're the guys that can or girls who can just play that song that you didn't know that you needed to hear right now and that's um, you know, and that can change the, from from week to week, from month to month, from year to year. That's the, the beauty of it. And to quote Sebastian yeah. Ledger, who's like, you know, it's mistakes. Like, there's plenty of times that I have made mistakes in DJ sets, and I've played something, and it hasn't worked. But often the best times is when you you play something, and you just go, I'm going to take a chance on it, and it really works. And you're like, wow, yeah. I, I, I didn't even think that was going to work, but like nah. that's just that's just been amazing. Um, yeah. So so you so you started DJing on Serato. Um, how long did it take to build up a reputation, um, you know, at, for your set, for your sound? Was it something that happened quite quickly? Like, how long was it before you started to 
want to release music that you were making? How, how did this journey move forward from, obviously, in my simplistic timeline, I'm just putting the first kind of time that you did, a, you know, percussion over the top of something, to now moving into being able to DJ yourself on Serato via DVS. What are the next kind of couple of steps in that timeline of your journey? Um, well, it, my journey kind of... Um hit a bit of a uh, hit a bit of a roadblock basically um uh, me and my mates started making music we're doing this duo thing we started getting some gigs and um i got really i basically found um started getting really bad headaches and um i got diagnosed with having a um a golf ball sized brain tumor and um had to uh yeah i had to within uh, within a month of being diagnosed it was benign but i had to have it removed because it was like wow. um right on my uh on my brain stem so um yeah i was sort of 25 and um within a month of being diagnosed i had to be um yeah put uh have brain surgery and um yeah they the i caught meningitis from the surgery because basically the 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 tumor was on my um on my brain stem and um i got yeah meningitis which basically i was pretty much out for the for around about six to 12 months and um yeah so basically i i was stuck at home with all this free time on my hands and basically i yeah just learned ableton and and started making music and was just sort of this was would have been i think 2010 2011 something like that and then um yeah, so basically uh, just learnt how to make music and pretty much um, that it kind of put a halt on the gigs and everything like that, but I, I sort of rebounded a bit. Um, but, um, yeah, so – and then at that time, that was when everything was kind of really going in towards the house music thing and the live instruments had really died and it was all EDM, EDM. and big electro, and, and big electro sound Tommy trash. and stuff like that. Tommy Trash was like in his like in his element and um, yeah like but he's a classically you know, people... sorry to take you off we'll come come back to this, sorry to interrupt but he's also a classically yeah. trained musician right like he's yeah he's, he's 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 an incredible musician yeah yeah, yeah um yeah um but uh, yeah so pretty much um that 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 sort of like yeah put a big uh, <laughs> put a big roadblock in the way but um kind of got through it and uh as so you, how did as you, you how did you respond to, i mean yeah thank god you got through that man i mean i wasn't expecting you to to say that um but so how yeah. did you so you learn on ableton how did you respond to the global surge in edm because obviously that is you know not going entirely towards you know your natural instincts that like you mentioned before so how did you um yeah how did you sort of navigate those those few years well, that was it. Was a lot of um, it, it. just put like a lot of learning in terms of like learning to play, uh, to work with synths, learning um, basically how these guys make this music, and like um, it was one of those things. Everyone wanted to do it at the time. Like it was just everyone was trying to you know to like be the next you know Steve Angelo and stuff like that at that time, and um, everyone was trying to use the uh you know silence and all this sort of stuff which learning all these um you know how to how to make bass lines with and drums with synths and all that sort of stuff it was really um 
you know, I found it really challenging because it was not my natural um, natural way of uh, of making music. Um, so, but look, you, I just you, as everyone did at the time, everyone just really wanted to to kind of do it in, and get there. So, um, I think uh, yeah, you just kind of had to had to learn how to do it. And it was a funny time because like Ableton, well, I think it was back when it was like Ableton 8. And so Ableton 8 was always <laughs> sounded shitter than Logic. <laughs> so I know how, I knew how to use Ableton 8, but I knew that Logic sounded better. And I knew that like all the Swedish house mafia guys are all using like to get that. What I, I, I did understand, which was really frustrating for me in these EDM years was um, groove and like I can like I can hear grooves in tracks um, and make them and stuff like that and trying to use Ableton's early groove functions was just horrid like it was just I was like why is this not working and then every, like logic uh, logic was the sound logic had that like shuffly sound and so I was yeah. half making drums in logic and half it was just it was it was a tough time were you still were you still those. so were you still um were you gigging at this point like were you gigging were you playing edm or were you gigging and still playing funky house because that was always a scene for that in sydney like what were you what were you doing oh, no. dj wise around around this time we were playing um, like gigs, playing like EDM, and it was this horrible time where there was like mashup DJing was a big thing, <laughs> and it was like the funky house scene was really just like in bars and stuff like that. So if you were playing club gigs, and which I was at the time, you were playing, you know, like mashup of you know these mashup tracks where it was like hip hop oh, we all played we all played a lesser to death mate don't worry we all played a lesser <laughs> <to> death, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh it was uh it wasn't so much that it was just the, like this horrible mashup time where you know you had to have like a, a pop oasis wonder wall over the top of like some edm yeah. beats or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah wow it was that time where like everyone yeah i don't know it was just i'm glad i'm glad that's in the past you know i so, think it's all um, i think it's all part of like i mean a lot of the stuff that you've just you've just said there really really resonates with me because i mean i started off um, I'm not as instrumental as you by by any stretch of the imagination, but I started off with with you know subliminal soul like funky house, what you know what what I would have called U.S. vocal house and garage and stuff. Um, yeah. And, and as I progressed into playing into clubs, and at the point where where that EDM thing you know came along was 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 when I was you know a resident at a massive club in Newcastle, and and we we had a night called Electrica where we had Calvin Harris and Alesso and you know and all those yeah. guys. Um, so I was in that place of playing that music so I was in that place of trying to make that music because they were the gigs that I was doing um but I always felt that I always tried to make music that that had soul in it do you know what I mean that had like yeah. you know I, I couldn't really just cope with hoovers and horns and noises and, and stabs and, and like I had to have vocals it had to try and have something so when I was making yeah. that music it always just felt like a huge battle to make something that would fit in but that didn't 
you know didn't feel like it was me so now like you say that that time has passed and and I've said it on the podcast a few times but now the pandemic and the six months previously has just given me that chance to make to go and make music that I'm I'm not making music to play on a Saturday anymore I'm just making music yeah. that I really like and suddenly yeah you know, I'm making nice vocal you know what I mean house music again in yeah. different forms like disco yeah. stuff with, with Lefty obviously who you're aware of but you know deeper yeah. stuff with with Ryan and and stuff like that but yeah I think it's um it, but it was also a time when when it it, it also it kickstarted dance music and electronic music into so many markets, America especially. That, oh. Yeah, although it, although maybe we, we we grew tired of it, it did open up the gates to to a lot of, of of more people who now potentially have eyes and ears on the things that we're doing. Yeah, I think. Look, I, it um, everywhere. Like it, I think. In terms of the the doors that it opened for music, it, it it was it was phenomenal, and it kind of it it made DJing a worldwide phenomenon for for everyone, you know. And um, it it was incredible. Like the it also spurred on the whole production thing, and I think like just going back to what you're saying about that that time where. Um, you know, you, the Alessos and the Calvin Harrises were doing their thing. Yes, I think you were able to make music on your laptop, but as I sort of said, like the the quality of the um, yeah. the Ableton or the Logic wasn't the same. Like those guys that were putting out those big records, they were going into big studios working with like you know. Um, engineers and stuff like that who are making those records sound crisp and we were getting trying to sit there with ableton going like ableton 8 trying to make that sort of same quality and going why can't i do it and it's like but now with this explosion of the scene like you know the quality of what i can do and what you can do and what anybody can do on Ableton or Logic or, you know, with um, the plugins and, and everything that's available now is incredible. So I think, like, to have that that journey and have that music just, like, you know, spur on our um, our little uh, – our, um, our industry is just um, – it's, it's phenomenal, you know. So coming, so, out of, so coming out of, let's call it the EDM era, where does the sort of Alex Preston that we know now, where did that kind of – come from might not be the right question but you know like as far as the music that that i would know you for like say mama and things like that was there a, was there a yeah. point when you made a conscious decision to kind of rebrand because you said you were playing in, in in clubs so people must unless you were playing were you playing under a different name in the clubs playing no, EDM? No, I, was playing, I, was, I was playing yeah and making so, edm under alex preston so, so, so was, could... it, was it a conscious decision at a certain period or did you just follow a trend and fall back into something or how did you go about the rebranding of that name um so basically i went from making edm into making like more housey stuff and more once that transition into that sort of deep house you know disclosure kind of started doing those things like oh here we go i love <laughs> like i started making more like future house and like all this sort of stuff sort of transitioned towards um, to where it was kind of going and then I started working with um, my manager Gerald who um, I'm still working with today um, and I think we've been working together for about four years now and um, 
started making future housey sort of stuff and then um he said like why don't you make some more like kind of cooler sort of tech housey sort of stuff like because he had just kind of been looking after um uh, solar for Solado when they were sort of just starting to take off and he's like we're doing all this like really cool sort of music i think you'd be able to like do some really cool stuff with it and i was like cool and i was right into it because i love tech house like always loved it since i was um just like the groove and stuff of it ever since you know like there was a real underground we used to do these underground like tech house parties in like 2009 2010 sort of before i got sick and um it was a real kind of you know you'd only have like 20 people at the party but everyone would just be <laughs> be sick um but uh yeah so i kind of love that music and then i sort of um he's like my um my uh, partner my fiance she was like why don't you play guitar on your records and gerald said the same thing and so i started like mucking around i heard um uh sugar by technasia and, and and green velvet and heard the bluesy guitar twangs on this track and i was like oh hello <laughs> this is I thank you so I thank started, you <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> lightning bolt bolt moment and um just started playing around with it and wrote a couple of tracks and then i was like hang on a second i can actually do this live and then i've got one of my um, best mates who has been like booked me all the way through my uh, musical journey um uh book i said i've got this new idea i'm going to start playing guitar on my on my records and stuff like that and i want to do it live and he's like mate i'll book you for the biggest night we do at our club and i was like okay sweet so um he put me on and i and i played and it was like mental it was just insane so um everyone was just like whoa because it was at a time where people hadn't been playing instruments or doing yeah. anything like that um and this was about two or three years ago and it just went nuts and so we decided to do a full rebrand and just like go like just completely go down that road and just see where it took us um and uh so it's a lot did you of ever at that now. point did, did you ever at that point and i'm not saying you should have i'm just interested because it's something i've thought about and it's something i've talked about on the podcast with other people did you ever at that point consider coming up with a brand new name was that something you talked about with gerald or did you were you always very sure that you were staying with alex I mean, um, it's, yeah, it is your name. Like, Sorry, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was pushing for me to, like, come up with a new brand and, and do, like, a full rebrand. And I was like, well, no, this is, like, this feels so right. This is so me. This is just, yeah. like, it, it. this just has to be my name. And, like, um, you know, it's, like, it's me. It's just, like, it's my whole music on a like background on a platter it's the you know the the joining of the the two sides of my musical um uh career so yeah we just kind of and and gerald was like like um he said all right that's what you want to do that's what we'll do and then he said um just think where like i want you to come like write down where your perfect gig is like perfect set time perfect gig where is it um what are you going to be playing and i said look i want to be playing like sunset like vibes 
groovy house music um and and that's that's and my guitar and that's that and he said well, okay that's what we're going to do let's work backwards from that and let's get to that point he said come up with a mood board for you know like what you want this to look like like blah 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 and it's like i've grown up like on the beach here surfing and stuff like that so like the the crazy shirts that I wear when I'm playing, I wear them, you know, like we all wear them around. <laughs> so I turned up to Amsterdam like the first year of this and I was wearing like, oh, I was like, fuck it, I'm not wearing black, I'm wearing my party shirts. I was the only guy in Amsterdam wearing party shirts and everyone like. Well, where, um, was, where, was, like where was Fisher? And then I turned up next year and everyone had party <laughs> shirts on and I was like, this is fucked. <laughs> so uh yeah but um yeah so that's kind of it and then we've just kind of been going down that road and just exploring um you know the and where did basement like, sound and, come from then where did the where did the name where did like so talk us through the the because it was the first was the first basement sound release in about like 2017 2018 yeah so that was kind of pre all this happening like we basically just wanted an outlet for me to be able to release for us to be able to release my music on um and uh so that's kind of why we started that and then when this whole once uh, like once i decided to change and do this whole guitar thing like i'd written all these songs and come up with kind of a couple of eps worth of songs and no one like i don't think we ever it ever crossed our minds to try and send them to anyone else i think the plan was always just let's self-release them because we can control the releasing of the songs and we can control the momentum and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's that's basically um, what we did and, and that's that's kind of where it uh, kind of came from. And then um, I was just – it was just a great, great outlet for me to kind of release my friends' music and stuff too. So that's what we did initially. But, um, yeah, so now um, – Where'd the yeah, name come from? I can't remember. I think it was either me or <laughs> I think it was all, <laughs> it was either me or, or Gerald. One of us came up with it, but uh, the palm tree is definitely very, uh, definitely very me. So yeah. So if I but, take you um, back to if I take you back to sort of the end of 2019, the start of this year, um, you know, if, if I if we'd done this. If we'd done this chat at the end of January, you know, end of February time, and I'd said to you, right, Alex, what is the rest of 2020 looking like for you? What was this year looking like if um, the pandemic hadn't have hit? What was in the diary? What was, has anything, I mean, obviously a lot has changed, but have you changed what you've released? Has obviously what gigs would you have been doing? What was this year looking like for you? I actually like... At the end of last year, um, I was kind of in a bit of a, like, I just finished a national tour and touring Love Move, the single that we put out. And I was a bit like, I was a bit like, what's going on? Like, what are we going to do this year? Like, what's the plan? Like, um, I was, I was just like, I knew I needed to do something like really big this year and I just didn't know how I was going to do it or like what was going to uh, and I was like, I was a little bit um, like, not despondent, I don't think it's the right word, but I was just a bit like, does anyone, like I was asking myself the question, I was like, does, is, is this guitar thing working? Does anyone actually like it? Like, 
what am I like? Because as an artist, you're constantly asking yourself, like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like, do I like it? Does anyone else like it? Why am I here? You know, those these are the questions that were going through my head. Um, and um, and then I basically, um, I don't know how I don't know how it happened, but I think I was. Um, chatting to uh, Matt from Tool Room on Facebook. I think he added me on Facebook. or And I knew, I'd always knew, like, Tool Room had been, like, the first record I ever bought when I first got my Serato thing was, like, um, Tool Room Records and stuff like that. And they'd always just been, like, this unicorn label for me. I was always, like, I'm never sending anything there. They're too, like, you know, um, they're, they're too, like, big, basically. And so... Um, I was chatting to in like thinking about February or January. Matt added me on Facebook and and he said and I said oh how would I send you guys a demo? And he goes oh please can you send me a demo like we love your music at our office and I was like oh, okay and I thought he was just being like nice and then um, I sent them some demos and um, they were like yeah we we really love your stuff and Mark likes your music and all this and I was like well okay so they signed one record then they signed another record and then they were like oh do you want to do the poolside album and i was like whoa what's going on you know so it really just kind of uh just sort of spurred on like what has been the the a really like um crazy crazy year that uh, i said to my manager gerald like i was like um if you told me i would like at the end of 2019 that I would be working and doing like the tour and poolside album and doing all this stuff and, um, you know, working with all these amazing people. Um, and we'd be in a worldwide pandemic. Like, um, it was like, put it this way, like my mum's 60th was, um, was supposed to be on the 30th of May and we'd all booked to go to France for mum's 60th because she loves like um south of france and everything like that when me my fiance and my sister were going to go to ibiza and the girls were like oh do you reckon you'd be able to get a gig in ibiza and i was like oh i don't know <laughs> and then it just so happened that i was mixing the poolside ibiza uh, album to be called that so <laughs> uh, yeah so i was just but you know what like these things they they're like you've just got to in this pandemic i think you just one thing that i've been trying to do this year is just like just be really positive you know like try and just do like just be do something positive you know try and start your day doing something positive and 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 trying to move forward write down some goals you know just map everything out because you know there's so much like bad news and bad this and bad stuff happening all the time i think uh, you know it's 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 hard to sort of um, make heads or tails or stuff so yeah so so in, and then the next the next question that follows on from that really is and you sort of started to answer it in the end there uh, i'm not so much looking back now I'm, I'm looking forwards so you know looking forwards into into 2021 um you know my belief is that is that there's always going to be people who want to drink dance party have a good time and we're always going to be there to supply it for them um so what what are your 
what are your plans you know let's just let's just hope that things improve what would be our next summer europe you know europe wise would be you know next summer hopefully what are your plans moving forward do you have sort of plans are you holding releases back for next year or are you just releasing music as it comes have you got um yeah what's your sort of plan to to, to you know to come out of this this an exit strategy if you will I've got an, um, we've got an, I've basically been working on an album um, of stuff that um, I'm, we're looking at putting out in early 2021. Um, and um, yeah, so I'm working on that. And then um, just hopefully going to get over to Europe and, and the UK and stuff in next, your, your next summer. Um, but you know, if that doesn't happen because of the pandemic, we still can't travel or whatever, then so be it. But um, I think just in the short term, like as I was saying, I've got some gigs next month and we've just been talking about playing, you know, to crowds, sitting like I'm actually looking forward to um, – we've still got to entertain people. So you've got to – like uh, I'm looking forward to like being the challenge of entertaining people who are sitting – down and like i was thinking the other day like um you know when when you're like when we were, ha- were able to dj to people to dance people would always be like you know play something we can dance to or something like that so it's like now it's like play something we can't dance yeah. to yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know so it's just um it is what it is and i think you know like we'll just i'll just take it as it comes and just uh you know try and just keep enjoying you know making music and and stuff like that so i think so if, um, if people want to find out more about you and your music hit me with some links that people can go and search or find you on yeah so just um i've been pretty much just sticking to instagram lately i find it um easy really easy to communicate with people um uh and um, so just at my Instagram handles, just at DJ Alex Preston. Um, I'm on um, uh, I'm on Facebook as well, but I like Instagram. I'm, I think it, it's just for me personally, it's a bit more functional, you know, um, and it looks, I don't know, it's, it's, it's easier to use. Um, and then also on Spotify, like you can check out my music, um, just look up Alex Preston and stuff on Spotify. Um, if you want to listen to to some music i haven't really been doing like any um i was doing like a podcasty sort of radio show earlier this year but i sort of have been kind of focusing on more kind of making music and stuff like that which i've kind of been enjoying lately which is cool so but um we're looking at set, maybe that, that set that you did um the one that was i think it was on the tool room channel was it and it was live yeah. from tell us a little bit about that because i saw it but for people who didn't see it just tell us a little bit about that and where people could go and find it and watch it uh that's on the um tool room youtube page um uh, it's um i i think if you type alex preston live at watson's bay hotel um and uh yeah it was a live set i did um for the 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 release of the tool room uh, poolside album which was which was fun i'm actually um i want to do a couple more of these i one of the i was uh, one of the things i'd actually like to do i'm just going to work out the logistics of it is a few of these gigs um that i'm playing over the next few weeks we are going to be able to record and stuff so i'm thinking that maybe we might record them as well and then put them on my socials afterwards so that um 
everyone can can check them out and you know throw them on while you're you're cooking dinner or or walking the dog or whatever you're doing so you know yeah okay i'm gonna start um wrapping it up because it is morning time for me and evening time for alex and because he's in australia and some of the people he works with are in europe he's got more people to talk to after me so i'm gonna start wrapping it up Uh, a couple of things that we do to wrap it up the first one is just some some quick fire questions um so don't worry about giving it doesn't have to just be one word but you know just keep it kind of short um yeah the first one is basically if you know if you got an email through and you, you had a gig and you uh i mean you, and this can be at any time really i guess as far as going back in history but if you saw that you're booking you saw the dj schedule and you had to go on after someone and you were like oh god i really don't want to go after them that is going to be a tough show is there a name that would just pop up where you would think oh i don't want to dj after them that is going to be really hard work uh you, you mean because they're really good <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah um okay i'll give you two um i think uh firstly uh i think mark knight's one of my favorite djs i i I, he i think would i'd be not only would i be um really i i find it hard to follow but i think i'd be really nervous and then also um i think Follimore as well um i saw Follimore just before lockdown and the energy in that room was insane, like insane. So don't want to play after him, either of those two guys. Yeah, I, can certainly so, relate, yeah. I can certainly relate to the Mark Knight thing. I mean, that, that question comes from, because I was thinking about these quick fire ones and I had to go on after Calvin Harris once and I was just like, I was just shitting my pants. <laughs> Calvin had just been in the club. Like, and the, like you say, the energy and the atmosphere and everybody. And it was just like, yeah, on you go. And I was like, oh God. Um, yeah. So I want to ask you, the first the memories of the first nightclub that you went to so you might be like 17 18 at this time i'm guessing and you probably hadn't been to too many nightclubs and i'd just like if you can remember the name of that nightclub and any sort of memories of that night uh yeah um uh it was called tank uh nightclub in the um uh in where it's in Sydney in a CBD, it's it's no longer a nightclub. It's now an old, like a restaurant, and it was, um, I think Tommy Sunshine was playing, and I took a. I actually, I can't say that. Can I say, <laughs> no, no, you can. No, you definitely can <laughs> yeah. if you want to. I mean, you don't I, have to. I took a pill, and it was fucking. <laughs> it was epic, and then it just like that whole experience is just. Uh, there's a. Um, street song there's a song by the streets called blinded by the light and i, I we were when i was like that age like that with that album was out and i was we just listened to oh, that and i just yeah. I, and i hear that song now and i still have it like still listen to it and it just takes me back to that moment and it's that's just what we so were- and that's what we were discussing. I was discussing this with with Nathan yesterday, and it'd be the same for you. We were talking about breaking records. We were talking about, as an artist, as a producer, releasing a track. And I was sort of saying that in the pandemic, it's so hard because records are made, records are built on those experiences, those very experiences of kissing someone, falling in love, being with your mates, sunset in Ibiza, you know, entering a club. And it's like records aren't built on hearing it on the radio or hearing it on Spotify. You want to hear a yeah. record on the radio or on Spotify because because of those memories and that's what's yeah. been been lacking this summer that's what's lacked this summer is 
that moment that you would have to that record that would live with you for the rest of your life. So it's so nice yeah. for, for me to hear you talk about a record that evoked that emotion. And every time you hear that Blinded by the Lights record now, you close your yeah. eyes and for a second, you're back in tank. <laughs> <laughs> right. it's, a, it's so, uh, but like, oh, just to go back to that experience back then, talk about, like just real quick, like, in those days in Australia, you could either buy a Ministry of Sound annual or you could get CDs off the DJ and there was no radio stations that played – or there was a little radio station that might play dance music. But the only way you could get dance music was to go to the club and, and to listen to it that way. So it's like it was it was an amazing time because you would have like – you would obviously take a pill or whatever – and you would get all these like insane emotions attached to this music and you would then like hear they hear those songs again randomly on a cd or something and all of a sudden you would um those emotions would flood back so yeah it's so it's so critical to our industry man so i mean here you go you might have already answered this question but it can be we can go further back to that documentary and stuff but the next question is really is which record do you think has influenced you the most on your on your journey? Dance record? Um, it doesn't have to be. That's I mean, again, for most people on this podcast, it probably would be. But I'm aware that for you, it could have been a Hendrix record. It could have been a punk record. Like, so it's just something that really sticks out to you as a record. Not so much that has inspired you to produce a certain sound, just a record that really sticks out to you and you feel has influenced you throughout you know, your whole journey. I think um, one of the, the the first ones really that uh, I'll give you two. Hendrix Little Wing obviously was a, a major influence on me, um, but I'll go to another one as well and say um, Strings of Life by uh, yeah. by the Soul Central version of it. Um, yeah. With the not the vocal one, but the one with the pian like the piano solo and everything in it. I would that was when I heard that I was like. Um, wow! This the 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 performance on the in the instrumental performance on this is like insane, and um, yeah, I was just that that to me just and even now, as a player of an instrument, like the performance that I play on the records has to be people. I want people to hear it and just be like, "Fuck, that is like you know that." that solo or that riff or that whatever is is so tight you know so yeah that i'd say i love that answer i love that answer um so next one up is favorite club that you have played now in your case because of sydney and australia it doesn't have to be in it doesn't have to be i suppose i guess to you the question is favorite gig you've ever played so you know it doesn't have to be in a nightclub it could be on a beach it could be outdoors but yeah what's the favorite gig that you've ever played it could even be going back to a band gig but what's the favorite gig you've ever played i think one of the funnest ones that we have here in australia um that i love playing is um uh is a venue in adelaide actually called fat controller it's a huge big room that fills up with like I think about 1500 people or something in it and it's just like it's cool because you like get to go away for the weekend the guys down there like that look after you like um they're just absolute legends like I've only like obviously been down there probably three times and so I've only really hung out with them three times but they're just like the type of people and everyone down there is like 
the type of person that you just feel like you've known them for years. And it's just like what quintessential touring as an artist is is about, like having a play. And the, the gig's amazing. The sound's incredible. The venue's insane. The green room's even better. And, like, you know, it's just like it's just what – one of the joys of being an art, a touring artist because, you know, you do have to do gigs that sometimes aren't as, you know, um, like as salubrious. But, um, you know, to be able to do those ones, it's real. when that one comes up in the camera, yes. You know? you've, just, so, you've just yeah. instantaneously made me miss and th- maybe miss turn and think of like two or three <laughs> of those personal ones for me. Like I always used to go, love going to Belfast to play for the guys at Thompson's. Just exactly. I, you could literally have just taken your answer and dubbed over yeah. me going, Belfast. Thompson's and it yeah. would have just been the same, <laughs> yeah. the same answer um okay yeah. so here's here's like a kind of a, a slight reversal on the first question which is when you get that email through from your booking agent or your manager and you see that you're warming up you could give the same answer I guess but you see that you're warming up for someone and you just think oh that is just perfect I'm just going to be able to play exactly what I want to play we're going to hand over we're going to change set times and I'm just going to stand in the booth or go on the dance floor and just have the best night to whoever this is playing after me so that's the that's the question uh, who 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 am I warming who would up you love for? to warm up for because you know that you're going to get to play exactly what you want to play you're not going to have to kind of you know particularly go somewhere you don't want to be you get to play exactly what you want to play and as soon as you change over you know the next two hours of your life are going to be great because you're going to be either in the DJ booth hanging out with them drinking or you're going to be dancing because you're just going to be like this is the greatest I'm going to I'm going to flip this one and say like um some local guys actually cool. um, that I always get put on before guys that um, um, they're on the same agency as me. These guys called So Deaf and they play they play a lot heavier than what I do, and so I know them. I know what they play, and I know that it works after my stuff. So I know that I can play whatever I want, and there's no. And sometimes those local, like the local mates that you've got, that you know they're their sets they're like what they do i think they're the ones that you love warming up for because you know like there's nothing there's no stress they're not gonna like you know you know that's the that 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 would be ideal that's so, a wicked yeah. wicked answer man that's a great answer so i'm gonna i try and i try and slightly change this um the way i pose this question to different people so i'm gonna take you back and say that you were booked at fat controller um around the middle of march or whatever i don't know how exactly it happened in australia but go with me on it so you've been booked at fat controller and let's just say that that day or the day before the big lockdown has been announced but you know that you've got this last gig so you're going to play fat controller and ultimately you know in hindsight we also know it's going to be closed for however many months after it and it's you're playing last you close in the room what's that record that you're going to play um, knowing that it's going to be the last record you're going to play in a club for a good six to nine months. Well, actually, no, I don't want to say what I was going to say because what I normally play, um, this sounds terrible because it's just been recently so like um, – uh, it, it's just been thrashed all over Instagram, but I always finish with Dreams by Fleetwood Mac at a like in a club set, and I have like 
for like years if it's like the last closing set because it's just like such a nice like send off and i think there's been like a meme going around where it's just like this song's like back in vogue again so i don't know if i would play it now because it's it's like it's almost like too popular i don't like playing stuff that's sort of too like you know too in vogue but maybe something like that i, I reckon would uh, would go down a would go down or no, sometimes i've been known i've, I've I've been known to finish sets with uh, with "Could You Be Loved" by Bob Marley as well. So. <laughs> nice, man. Well, I'd take both of those. Let's go for the just go for a double header, right? Then, so yeah. then we're going to do now. I'm going to ask you to curate a dream gig. This gig can be wherever you want. So it can be somewhere real. It can be somewhere that's closed. It can be just a generic thing. So it can be Fat Controller. It can be a generic underground basement club. It can be a generic beach festival or it can be Glastonbury. It can be wherever you want it to be, really. Um, yeah. And then after we've got a venue, I'm going to ask you for three acts. It's not so much a warm-up and a middle and a headline. It's almost a three-headline kind of affair. And these acts can be anything you want. They can be bands. They can be live dance acts. They can be back-to-back DJ sets. You can be on the line up if you want to be in any guise that you want to be you could even be on the lineup three times you could go back to back with someone you could be in a band whatever you want and to be fair it's just right in the moment today it could have been a different you know gig if i asked you yesterday it could be a different gig if i asked you in six months but as we're talking today i just want you to create curate um, a sort of a dream gig so alex preston where are we going to have this gig I reckon it'd be on a boat on the harbour. I just love playing on Sydney Harbour on boat parties. I think, like, um, they're just – it, we're so lucky here to live somewhere like that and have that at our – and it's just on a beautiful afternoon that's not too windy. It is just, like, it's magic, you know, and, like, just as the sun's setting and everyone's kicking off. And I love playing those things too when, like, you know, like – as it's a lot of my mates are on there as well you know it's like that's the funnest stuff you know get a bit pissed and then try and play and like <laughs> it's just <laughs> that that would be uh so who's on the be, boat alex know? who have we got on the boat oh i think i i think i'd play myself probably start, yeah play, start off um probably get uh probably get um get uh sir mark knight on there after me i reckon to like fire everybody up and then i've really been uh i think as it got like later um i've really been listening to a lot of uh like dj seinfeld stuff lately so i think i'd like to hear him like sort of you know late night early morning sort of vibes that would be pretty uh pretty fucking pretty cool too so nice, man. Well, I'm, yeah. for the first time ever on this show i'm gonna hijack your dream gig and i'm gonna get in there as well because the way you've just described that boat in Sydney, <laughs> it just looks <laughs> mate, unbelievable yeah yeah so that okay, looks that amazing way. right mate thank you so much for this what i'm gonna ask you to do now is um, just nominate a track that's going to play out the podcast, basically. It can be one of yours. It can be something from the way gone past of your life. It can be something that you just heard this morning. It can be self-promotion. It can be whatever you want. It's just people have been listening to this, you know, for us to chat on for te- for an hour or so. And, you know, you know, just I'd like you to announce and explain why people should check out this track now. Um, I'm thinking maybe my latest track, Say Mama, might be a good one. Um I really, uh, I really love this record. I've just, uh, I put it out, I think, last month. Um, but um, yeah, I, I love this record. We're actually going to release it 
it was due to come out actually on the 27th of March, and then uh, I released it with um, with uh, another rhythm. And Billy, the owner of another rhythm, was like, "No, nah, let's not put it out now. Let's wait until you know as the world improves." And we did, and and um, I'm really happy we did because it's it's it, I've been playing it in my set since um, October of last year. Played it all through my national tour, and it wasn't a, a record that I originally really loved making like i wasn't one of those ones that i was like i've i've like you know this is the best thing since sliced bread it was only through playing at gig after gig after gig that i was like holy shit this thing really works <laughs> and so yeah i think it, it's cool and i i'd uh, yeah like everybody to hear it so yeah nice one well thank you so much for taking the time to chat alex it's been an absolute pleasure i've loved this episode so thank you very much and hopefully i will see you soon when all this is blown over Happy days. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me, and it's been uh, been great to chat. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do, and who they are.